0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War 2020 Video Briefing Number 11. Uh, yesterday, for the first time, as some of you may know, we we streamed live these briefings as well as recording them. I have some other briefings that were already pre-recorded that we're in the process of trying to get all of them up today. Uh, I just work here. Uh, this is the way the Lord is doing it right now. And, uh, He's in charge and I'm just obeying Him moment by moment, minute by minute. But this live streaming, uh, from the studio proves that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, all those years I preached, uh, from a pul- pulpit and then We started recording with video back in the 80s and then uh, we started streaming live uh, back about uh, 14, 15 years ago and then uh, uh, we've gone with all this uh, social media stuff to be able to try to get the word out. And so now this is a new level for me because I am right now live on Facebook Live and on uh, Vimeo and on YouTube live. Uh, at least, I don't know all the places, uh, all these, uh, wonderful guys that are part of the media ministry, uh, tech team. They, they've got all that worked out. And so I let them do their job and I just sit here and try to do my part. So here we are, but, uh, this is, uh, it's a very critical time, uh, that we're in. And that is one of the greatest understatements that, uh, I have probably ever made, and I'm not one given to making understatements. Most people think I have a tendency to overstate, uh, but I have never used hyperbole on purpose in speaking the Word of God in my life. Therefore, if some consider what I'm saying at any time hyperbole, I do not. I am trying to say what I feel to say. I have some things to talk about today that uh, it seems to be my lot in life and my particular uh, gifting of ministry, the way the Lord uses me. It seems I am the one of the ones called to stay say stuff that's always difficult for people to hear. Uh, again, I don't qualify what I what God uses me to do or how he uses me to do it. I appreciate everybody's giftings and how God uses them. And this is how God uses me. And those that can handle it, they they listen. And those that can't handle it, they listen to somebody else. Uh, There's plenty of places that you can get milk from the word. But apparently, I have been called among others and thank God for everyone who does to feed his body meat. And that's what this is. And so this today is not going to be easy, any easier than anything else I talk about to hear. Uh, but I need again to make this statement very clearly. Uh, I, As the flow begins to minister here today, I am sure that I will get animated. Uh, because I, when I feel things very deeply, I cannot discuss them in this tone of voice. Uh, If it matters to me, I'm giving all of my being to it. And uh, that comes across. For some, they take that as me being critical or judgmental or unkind or whatever. Uh, You know, everybody takes it different ways. I'm telling you how I mean it because you don't know your own heart. I don't know my own heart. So you can't tell what my heart is intending to do or say in being used of the Spirit today as what my motives are. You, you, you don't know that. Only God knows my motives. And I have learned that the way He uses me, there is an urgency to it. There is also this desire to affect people's thinking right now. And I don't know any other way to minister than to call people to confront what's being said now, deal with it, think about it, hopefully pray about it, and go to the Word and see whether or not the Bible actually says what I'm saying. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying at face value. Those at Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica because when Paul ministered to them, they went to the Word daily. And search to see whether or not the things he was saying was so. That's what I'm counting on. Some like what I have to say. And I'm hoping those that don't get upset enough that you go to the book to prove me wrong. Because that's what I do. I love the book and I live in the book. And I'm pretty sure what you're going to find before I say something, if I can get, just get you to go look. That's the motive. The motive. It's not to make anybody mad or glad. My responsibility is your response. The scripture says to each one of us, take heed how we hear. My responsibility is to be his conduit and to be such a clean by the Holy Ghost, the blood of Jesus, the name of God, all of that, all of that. Not me, clean, not clean by me, but to be such a clean conduit that nothing of me affects what's flowing through it. Nothing. None of my opinions, none of my hangups, none of my, none of me that it flows out as purely as he is saying it. That's what me being a conduit means. It means he gets to, he gets to choose what he's going to say, how he's going to say it with whatever means of expression he chooses to say and He gets to do it when and how and where he wants to do it. And my responsibility is just to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever you're doing, I'm doing. Whatever you're saying, I'm saying. And by the grace of God, I'm not adding to or taking away from it. And I've already prayed this, and I pray this fairly regularly. Jesus, by your grace, don't let me add anything to or take anything away from whatever it is you're saying today. So that well, that is my preface to my introduction, as if, if this was a book. Uh, this is where we're going with this subject today. Uh, the subject today is pure Christianity. Some of you may have read this as a post on Facebook just uh, uh, within the last uh, week or so. But this is, as I was praying this morning, this was brought back to me so strongly that I knew that this was not a word for one day. This was a word God needed to speak. And of course, writing it down, uh, there's a way you express things writing it down. But when you're, when the Holy Ghost is flowing and he gets to add and put in and bring in whatever elements he wants to, it's a completely different presentation, a different, completely different communication. Our brains are not programmed to process what we hear spoken the way we process that which we read. Written language is much more complex in phraseology and structure than spoken language. Therefore, there's always a danger when you are reading something uh, to people that you have written down that you're talking right past their ability to receive. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just, that's why Jesus said, take heed how ye hear. Now, we also know he told us to, to read, search the scriptures, to search the scriptures. I've got to read. So, uh, he said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. So there is a blessing upon reading, but there's also a warning from him about how we hear because our minds do not process effectively written language Read to us. Therefore, today, this is my notes are basically the post I did and I broke it all down and I'm going to read a little bit, but I'm going to comment on it. I'm going to explain it. I'm not going to leave it at what I read because we're not able to do that. We weren't designed to be able to process written language performed no matter how dramatically and uh, uh, and we call that preaching, uh, our brains aren't designed for that. It's not effective. It may be entertaining, but it's not effective. But the problem with doing that is always points the attention to the public speaker, not to the man of God who is speaking God's word. And there is a difference between me reading God's word to you and speaking God's word to you. And so here we go. That's enough of that. Um, The title of this or the focus of this subject is Pure Christianity. Uh, We are approaching for the first time in my entire lifetime the purest form of Christianity that I've ever seen the church confronted with. Uh, The church was confronted with... uh, most of our association with God is through church services, but the purest form of Christianity is one soul, one God, one soul, one God, one soul, one God, and whatever relationship interaction, uh, whatever the dynamics are between those two, that's the purest form of Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that just one person, one God is pure. Because a lot of times God is always working on us to, to, to continually sanctify and cleanse us both of the filthiness of our flesh and spirit. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. So as I'm in his presence, there's a constant sanctification taking place. But the purity of the, of the principle is one per, one God, one man, human, one human. That's one. But most people's relationship with God is uh, is really through a corporate body. And because of our emphasis upon this relationship as a corporate body, far too few people ever truly experience the purity of Christianity, which is one soul and that one God that loves them and who became a man and died for them, so that they can fellowship with him forever. That's the purity. That's how simple it is. Uh, it, I'm saying this now because people have a tendency to repeat what I didn't say, as if I said it. I believe with all my heart it is absolutely biblically necessary for the body of Christ to gather for corporate prayer, corporate teaching, training, for corporate worship, for organizing our structure. You don't just send people into the field without any uh, pattern or plan because there's a whole huge field out there to harvest, and we need to have some order in how we do that. So all of that takes place when we come together. But ultimately, every individual must have a personal relationship with God that is capable of not just surviving anything they may face, but is actually th- enables them to thrive in any situation that they face. Now, I've personally experienced this. I have personally experienced this, and it changed my life. On June the 30th, 1964, I stood in... Uh, Dahlgren Hall at the United States Naval Academy and raised my hands with over 1,400 other uh, men at that time. There were only males at the academy. And I swore my oath and allegiance to the Constitution of the United States of America, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, God sent me there. Uh, I don't have the time for all the miracle, miraculous ways that God opened the door for me to go to the Naval Academy. And uh, I don't take credit for getting me there. He got me there. But it didn't take me long to figure out. It didn't take me long at all to figure out. Uh I don't have a church to go to. I don't have any place to fellowship that believes what I believe. And my dad spent 30 years in the Navy, and so all 18 years of my life at home, Uh we went to seven different UPC churches, north, south, east, west, and in the middle. And the way it happens with churches with military families is you come and you're apart while you're there. When you go, it's like taking your hand out of the water. Uh, there's no hole left. It's just the way it is. So there was no, I had really good pastors. They were good men every place I went, but nobody took ownership of me. That means when I left home for the last time and I left the church, my family was attending the last, when I left, uh, that pastor did not feel any responsibility toward me. So I was here without a church family, without Pentecostal services of my faith to attend, and without a pastor to call and ask questions to or to help keep me propped up. Well, it didn't take long at all. Uh sitting around in rooms with guys talking about the Bible to figure out that this Pentecostal kid, it was my mother was attending United Pentecostal church when I was born. Uh, and I listened to my youth leaders. I listened to, my, listened to my Sunday school teacher. I listened to my pastors and I took all the word I got from them. I almost never read the Bible for myself. Uh, and I prayed in church and I prayed for people in the altar in the church. And I went through all that experience and it was quite an experience. I had a good experience with the church growing up. And I was, uh, I tried to do what the pastor said and I, I didn't cause people trouble. I was cooperative. I was, I tried to be helpful. I wanted to be involved. I, Dissipated all I could. I, I I played the trumpet on the platform in every service church I was a part of. Once I learned to play it, and uh, I you know I, sometimes I sang in the choir. I, I was involved. I was involved. But all of that involvement was dependent upon church, and it didn't take long for me to quickly understand that I did not have a genuine. Personal relationship with God. I'd had the Holy Ghost over 60 six years. I'd received the Holy Ghost the day, the Sunday after my 12th birthday in 1958. And, uh, and here I was. Uh, it's uh, uh, eight years later, or six years later, and I'm on my own. No church, no pastor. And uh, I'm in an environment that is actually hostile to my faith. Uh, not only those who were anti-faith in God at all, who were living life to the fullest from their perspective, but I gravitated to the groups that sat around in dorm rooms and talked about the Bible. Well, it didn't take long for me to figure out all those guys knew their their Bible better than I knew, their doctrine in the Bible better than I knew, not, knew mine. So it wasn't long that I didn't even know what I believed anymore. So now I've got a two-pronged, Focus in my life. Now I'm go- going to school, trying to pass my courses, but that wasn't my focus. My focus was finding God like I'd never known him before and finding the truth in the Bible for myself like I did not have. Now, I had had a brief time when God gave me a... Uh, Uh, a taste of what I was after that I didn't even know I didn't have. It was the latter part of May of 64. It was just five or six weeks, I think it was, from the time I uh, went to the Naval Academy. Uh, Back then, of course, churches almost never put they're guest speakers in a uh, hotel, so either the pastor or one of the saints in the church that had room would keep the ministers in their house. Well, my dad, even though he was a sinner at that time, he loved preachers, and preachers loved him. And so for whatever reason, he had never done this before, but whatever reason, when these two men were, when my mother came home and told him these two men were coming uh, to do this Sunday school seminar, what they called it, uh, my dad said, why don't you tell the pastor we'd be willing to keep those two men? I don't know how all that happened. It had never happened before. It didn't ever happen after that. Of course, I, in six weeks, I was out of the house. But it was looking back on it. I, I, I saw how absolutely amazing that was. Well, uh, there were two men traveling at that time. And one of them they was doing the seminar sessions in the daytime. They were going Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, and then, of course, then on Sunday. And uh, one of them was preaching the night services and doing the Sunday services. The other one was teaching the seminars in the daytime. And uh, so it was kind of a, a Sunday school seminar, but it was really also rally services at night. And... Uh, the uh, the man that was uh, speaking doing the teaching in the daytime was the man who created the original search for truth home Bible study chart, but the guy speaking at night I'd never heard of these guys before. You know, I I didn't live in the Bible Belt and I didn't go to church in the Bible Belt, and uh, you know I wasn't I'd never been to a, uh, uh, any of the big uh, national organizational meetings. I'd never been to a general conference. I'd never been to any of, the, of those things. I'm just I'm just a typical. Pentecostal saint in many ways. And, uh, I'm there. And this, uh, other man that came in the house, uh, I had never met anybody like that. Again, like I said, I had some really good pastors and they were good men and they were men of God, but this man was different. And, uh, I'll remember the very first meal on Thursday night. They, they just got into the house, got settled in their rooms. It was time to eat. We we're going to church that night. And, uh, I was sitting at the end of the table, to the to the right of the this end, and my dad was at this end of the table, and in this end was sitting brother Marvin Cole. I never, I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him. Uh, but my dad asked him to ask the blessing, and uh, oh my Lord, there was someone who moved into that room. He wasn't flamboyant with his prayer. He, he was, it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't a big production. And I don't remember exactly what he prayed, but I remember how he prayed. In just a moment's time, we weren't sitting there, and he was locked into Jesus. Well, Jesus showed up, and it wasn't just on him. It was that entire table. Everybody felt the presence of God, and I'm going, what is this? I have never felt anything like this in my entire life, and I hadn't. Hundreds of Pentecostal church services I'd ever been in, I'd never felt anything like that. I, I don't even know that it felt like that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There was something moved in that place, and for the next three or so days in the house when They were in the house. Brother Cole would walk through the house just talking to Jesus. There was no no put on. He wasn't doing it for anybody else. It was so obvious to me that this was his lifestyle, that he had that kind of relationship with God. And I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm just so moved by this. I'm going, this is what this really is all about? All these years of going to church and I didn't know this was what was available to me. And I want you to know something. That didn't happen to me in a church service. That happened to me in a house, in a house where somebody that was in touch with God, that had a relationship with God, moved. It moved on me. Moved on me. I know that he said some things to me. I don't remember a word he said that whole weekend. I literally don't. I don't remember anything he preached. And I was in every session. The night sessions, the the seminar sessions, I was in all of it. The, the, The weekend sermon, I don't remember anything he preached. But, oh, do I remember the relationship with God he had. Oh, I remember that. And something happened in me. My life changed right there. And without even realizing it at that moment, somewhere inside of me, something turned over and said, I will have that no matter what it cost me. But I didn't understand that God had it all mapped out and planned, that God took me into a place of isolation from Pentecost. He took me in a place of isolation from everything I'd ever known, everything I'd ever practiced, everything had ever been taught to me. And he tore me down to nothing and built it all back over again. I've said many times, I went to to, to the Naval Academy, a third generation Pentecostal, but I left there a first generation apostolic. And I left there knowing, I don't care how much you go to church. I know you might be the best saint a preacher's got, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jesus for yourself. You don't know Jesus for yourself. You can't talk to him yourself. You can't hear from him for yourself. You can't see the truth in the word for yourself. You're just a religionist. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be unkind. I've lived this. And here, here, some 50 plus years later, 55 years later, I, the whole world, especially in this country, is being put in isolation by the one that wants to know you and wants them, him you to know him. I said it. I meant it. The means, he's not the author of the means. He permitted He's permitted it. God's not causing anybody to be sick but he's permitted it. And anybody that doesn't believe that this stuff is happening by God's permission, then you've got a pretty small God. But my God, according to Ephesians and Colossians is sitting on the throne of the universe right now, ruling over everything ever principality, power, might, dominion, every name in his name in this world. First Ephesians chapter one says right now in this world. And there's nothing that happens without his permission. And Job proves that. There was nothing the adversary could do against Job without God's permission. Now, what what authority the adversary has to come against the people that are his by their commitment to their own will to the same iniquity that got him kicked out of heaven? The life of self-will, that's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven was his own iniquity. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 15. And those that are walking in their own will today are fellowshipping with the same spirit that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, including those that sit on seats of oneness churches every week. If you're walking by your own will, if iniquity could be in heaven, you believe iniquity can't be in the church? Not according to Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, can enter in, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is heaven. Now, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, in that day, not when he was speaking, but in the judgment day, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name, and ca- in thy name, cast out devils, and in thy name, done many, many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. And what is working iniquity? Not doing the will of the Father. I would do the will of the Father. I'm not working iniquity. I don't do the will of the Father. I do my own will. I make my own decisions. Use my own intellect, my own wisdom, my own talents, my own abilities. I am doing iniquity. I'm not doing the will of the Father. It's that simple, friend. You know how simple life really is as a child of God? There's only one answer I ever need. Is this the will of God or not? Now, I don't do anything until I find out his answer. That's how simple it is. Life is so simple as a as a child of God that's submitted to the will of God. What's his will? What is his will? What is his will? Is this his will or not his will? Not my will. Not what I like, not what I want, not what I think. But what is his will? What does he want? What does he think? How does he want this to go? It's that simple. Now, our flesh doesn't like that. Oh, flesh just rise up saying, no, no, I, I, no, no. no, yeah, that's what flesh says. No, no way. No way. But I'm sorry. Sorry, it's not the case. I'm not saying I'm sorry for what I'm saying. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you're feeling that way because I know, according to the word of God, what's coming. The, our Father is so full of love. He is not going to spare anything to try to get our attention to bring us in alignment with his word. He cannot violate our wills. But your will and my will can't control circumstances. It controls our choices. But I'm free to make my choice. But I don't have the ability to make my choice happen. And when he says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, who are the humble? The humble aren't those who disparage themselves, look down on themselves. The, The humble are those, biblically, who have acknowledged Without him, I could do nothing. That's the humble. And he gives grace to the humble. What's your will, Father? He gives grace to that. Philippians 2.13, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if I'm humble and I've submit, by his grace, I've submitted, submitted, surrender myself to him. Then he empowers in me, first of all, the desire, the will, to the ability to decide through his grace to do what pleases him. And then he empowers me and gives me the ability, strengthens me to do his will. But if I don't want to do that, the Bible calls that pride, and he resists every effort we make. Every decision I make that is not his will, he becomes personally the adversary of that decision. But I'm a child of God. Yes, and as a child of God, what would you do as a parent if you had a child or children that would never listen to you? Now, thankfully, this isn't the Old Testament because the Old Testament, when a parent had a child that would never listen to them, they were required by God to bring that child to the elders and if the elders judged it so, they stoned the child to death. Now, this is, thank God, this is the New Testament, right? Praise God. You can see how that would go over, right? And I'm not in favor of that. But the book says, train up the child of the way should go. If parents don't teach children how to listen to them, they don't grow up knowing how to listen to God. So what would I do as a parent? To what lengths would I go knowing what's going to befall my child? That nobody can tell them anything. They're going to do their thing their way no matter what would happen. As a loving parent, what would I do for that child? And I tell you what, I'm, <laughs> ask my sons, I'm not going to sit back and do nothing because my love compels me to find a way to get the message across to them. Life doesn't work like this. Nobody's going to pay you an income to run your own life and do your own thing. Nobody. You're going to have a boss and you either submit to the boss or you don't keep your job. Well, why do we understand that in the natural but can't get it in the spiritual when God is the one that created the natural and the natural principles to be living illustrations of his spiritual principles? And he used natural things to help us understand the spiritual principles. The natural thing was to be born again. So we knew what birth was. So when he talked about being born again, Nicodemus said, how do I go back into the womb and be born? No, no, no. He said, I'm only using natural language you understand so you can understand my spiritual principles. Well, so it is with parents and children. And in principle, he's God, we're the children. And are we going to do his will or not? Because if we don't, he loves us so much. he He takes the personal responsibility to be the adversary of every decision we make that he didn't make through us. Now, there's folks don't like that. Well, as kindly as I know how to say this, if you're all upset of that, at any of this, which I've got so much Bible to back it up on, you don't have time to listen to. If you're upset with this, you've got to ask yourself why. And what part of you is inset, upset? It's not God that's upset with what I'm saying, because I'm saying what he's given me to say. And everything I'm saying is all of this rhema is backed up by an abundance of logos. The word. So if, I, if I'm if i upset, why am I upset? Because this is conf- forcing me to confront my life and what I thought I knew about God and living as a child of God, walking with God. I have to confront that. And so... In three days, just three days time, a man of God that walked with God in my house changed my life forever, forever, forever. That is my, that's my goal, my hope, my faith that in this live stream that you can feel this that the Spirit of God and the angels of God are manifesting themselves to you right now. And that he is bearing witness with your spirit. That even no matter how hard it is for our flesh to hear this, our our spirit is saying, yes, that's what I want. I want reality. I don't want the same old, same old. I want the real. I, I, want, I want a real relationship with God. I want to walk with God. I want to be a part of Him. I want to be a part of His plans, a part of His life. I want to be a part of His kingdom. Yes. And so, I'm at the academy by myself. No church to go to, no preacher to call. Nobody, nothing. And for my, uh, 19th birthday, I, uh, I, uh, I got my first study Bible. <coughs> And I got down by my bunk in my room on a weekend when everybody else was out on Liberty. I laid that Bible down on that bunk and I put my hand on it and I prayed stuff I didn't even know what I was praying. I felt them, I said them, but I didn't understand what all I was praying at the time. I said, Father, you put me here. Now, actually, I said Jesus because back then I wasn't comfortable calling him Father because I didn't know him as Father. I just knew him as Savior. That was it. Jesus called him father, but I couldn't. The man Christ Jesus called him father, but I couldn't. So Jesus, either you're a liar because you are a respecter of persons, or you really are no respecter of persons. And here I am. You put me in this place with no church and no preacher and nothing but this study Bible I just got for my birthday. Now, I'm saying this to you. I don't know what truth is. Everything I thought I knew, these guys have stripped from me with Scripture that I could not refute. I didn't know how to refute. And so I don't know what truth is, and all I want is truth. I don't care who's right and who's not right. If the Catholics are right, I'll become a Catholic. If the Mormons are right, I'll become a Mormon. I don't care who's right. I just want truth from the Bible that I can see for myself. Truth I'm willing to live by and truth I'm willing to die by. I want that. Now, I prayed other things that I I was willing to always, and I've lived by this since that day, not believe anything I could not see in the Bible for myself. And I would always let the, the, the additional things he showed me be another step, even if it's a different direction than where I was going to that point. That I would always let the Spirit of God and the Word of God direct me into the life and the place He wanted me to be. Always, I promised I would do that for the rest of my life, and I have. At seventy-four, I have. And some of it, some people have a problem with me. Some preachers have a problem with me because if it if it excuse me if it ain't in the book. I'm not buying it. You do what you want to do, but I'm not doing what's not in the book. Not because I'm better than anybody, but because I can't save me. And it's the word of God that enlightens us and gives us wisdom on how to be saved. Only the word of God. And anybody that any individual or church that's telling me how to be saved different than what I see in the book for myself, not believing it. I'm teachable. Bring me your scriptures. You don't agree with what I'm saying? I don't care about your opinion. I don't want you to care about my opinion. My opinion is no more valuable than yours, and yours is certainly no more valuable than mine. And my opinion is no more true than yours, and your opinion is no more true than mine. So what does the Bible say? And I listen to the Bible. And if what I'm saying is wrong because I haven't understood that yet, and you've got scriptures that prove me wrong, bring them on. I want to hear them. I mean that. I want to hear them. I want to hear them. I want to hear them. So, I prayed, and for two years I studied the Word of God. I don't know how I graduated. I don't know how I got passing grades. I didn't do anything more than I had to do, for those two years, from February of 1965 to February 1967. I studied and prayed, and studied and prayed, and studied and prayed, and in that process, I found God, or rather. Better yet, he found me. He found me. And in that same process of time, he revealed truth to me. And I got such a foundation of truth between him, what he said was truth in the book, that to this day, I don't care how many degrees you've got. I don't care how well-known you are. If we can agree on one thing, we're only going to discuss scripture not your church's doctrine not your history not somebody else's history not your opinion i don't want to hear i think i want to hear what the word of god says and so if you'll agree to that discussion i'm not afraid to debate anytime anybody anytime any place if we're going to talk about the word of god not because i'm so wise and knowledgeable but because I see it. It's there in the book. In fact, by the grace of God, I never say anything. I am not prepared this moment to give book, chapter, and verse on what I'm saying. And I mean that literally. Literally. How can I say it if I can't prove it's truly in alignment with the logos of God, the written word of God? How can I do that? How dangerous is it for me and everybody else if I'm speaking things I can't even find in the book? Oh, I know. Because way too many people study to preach. They don't study to know. They don't study to know God. I mean, Peter said, last words of Peter, Second Peter 3, verse 18, that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not in our knowledge of about Him, but our knowledge of Him, Him, because He is the truth. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. I can't know Jesus without knowing the Word. I can't. It's not possible. And so, the two priorities of God, the two priorities of the Apostolic Church in Acts chapter 6, 6, verse 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But I can't minister word that I haven't proven to myself. If the uh, sword of the Spirit is the Word of God and not Logos there in the Greek, but Rhema, if that's the case, and The young man, David, who was a man after God's own heart and had already been anointed as the next king by Samuel, the prophet. If he goes to see the army sent by his father to the front lines to take provisions to his uh, brothers, he sees Goliath in the valley and, and uh, King Saul offers him the army because David volunteered. I'll go face that giant. And David said, I can't wear this. I haven't proven it. So what did he go against Goliath with? Whatever dimension of the word that he had that he knew how to use. But we find out later that David not only grew in stature and physique, but in skill and experience to be able to use a sword that at one point, the sword he was using was the one he got out of the uh, tabernacle uh, that was Goliath's sword. So he grew into that. He grew into that. And we're supposed to be growing into that. We're supposed to grow into that. We're supposed to be growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Not to be approved of by men, but approved of by God, workmen which needeth not to be ashamed. And what is the shame? The shame is to run our mouths when we don't know what we're talking about, giving our opinions out of our intellect, and then finding out or those listening to us finding out that what we were saying is not in the word of God. It's not in the word of God. It's not in the word. What happens when your followers find out that what you've been preaching to them is not in the word of God? Well, I'm their pastor. They're supposed to submit. No, they're not. The book says if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in a ditch. So they're supposed to follow you as long as they can verify for themselves that what you're saying is in the book. No man is going to tell me to follow him blindly just because of who he is. It's my soul and it's my eternal destiny. You want me to follow you? Speak out of the book. I'll do everything you're saying out of the book. Everything you say is from God. If it's in harmony with the book and David said, I've hid thy word. Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God? And I have spent a lifetime just, just downloading Word, 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 word in my heart. And everything I hear is so automatic now, I don't even think about it, but it's there immediately. Everything I hear, immediately I do, I run a search in the spirit with everything that's on my hard drive, my heart. The spirit takes that statement and runs it against everything I know in the book. And I'm I'm looking for any anything in the spirit that says not not that no boy what about this Uh." and if I get no negative feedback from the spirit searching the word in my heart okay I'm gonna listen to you for now but as soon as I can I'm not stopping at that immediate search trying the spirits to see whether or not they be of God I'm not stopping at that immediate search as soon as I can. I'm going to take what you've said. I'm going to go back to the book. And I'm going to begin to pray and study and, and ask God, okay, if this is you, I haven't seen this before. So if this is you, show me for myself. Praise God. The purity of Christianity. It's the purity of Christianity. And I can tell you right now, <laughs> the, uh, the briefing I've got scheduled, At 2 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time today, it's not going to be on the notes I thought because I have only made through a little over a page of this because the Holy Ghost has been speaking. But there's things here that need to be said today. And so today, by the will of God, as he determines at the 2 o'clock session, uh, my time, I'm going to be speaking about those because we are here right now. This is the word of God for the church clustered away Quarantined away by God. Isolated from all of our tradition and all of our, everything we're used to. And right now, it's just like me at the Naval Academy in a sense. It's just you and him and that book. Now, you got all kind of things streamed your way. Do not, I beg of you, do not let all of this streamed uh, ministry be all you do every day during this period of time between you and God. Cause otherwise all you've done is change venue. You're still maintaining the relationship with God that you have. When you go to church, somebody else is putting the meal together. Somebody else is feeding me, but only babies are dependent on someone else to feed them all the time. Now, my favorite restaurant in the whole world has not been shut down by the coronavirus. It has not. In fact, I have unlimited, uh, uh, exclusive access, uh, and I don't have to, uh, worry about it eating at any other restaurant but the one that's my favorite. It's Alice's kitchen at Alice's table. And I mean that with everything in me. And if you know you, me, you know I mean it. So I have that. <laughs> Okay, uh, I, I'm appreciative for that. But other than that, most of the time, uh, y- you know, <laughs> uh, she didn't cook all the time. There's sometimes I got to go to the kitchen to put myself together a PBJ, part of my limited food preparation skills, or to get out my own bowl. <laughs> Isn't that bad? I have to get out my own bowl and pour my own cereal and my own milk. Right. Sometimes I have to feed myself. Now, I acknowledge that my skill level of feeding myself may not be at the same level of hers. And I've been eating her c- cooking over 51 years. And, oh, friend, uh, three times a day and more every day is fine with me. But there are times I have to be able to sustain life. I have to be able to prepare my own meal. And maybe your pastor has a skill level with word, food, preparation that you don't have. But it is the will of God for every child of God to be able to go to the word of God and feed themselves from the word of God. You want to know Jesus? Really know Jesus? There's two things you've got to do for yourself and nobody else can do it. Because the pastor is primarily involved with feeding the flock, flock, flock. He is directing the flock and he's feeding the flock. But, you know, the shepherd can only lead you to a pasture. The sheep has to decide to eat. And it's like the uh, shoe bread in the tabernacle and then in the temple. It's made and it's whatever, but it's sprinkled with frankincense. And if that is a representation of the word of God, that frankincense makes the taste buds react that this is a bitter taste. But according to the word of God, the shoebread tasted bitter to the flesh, but when you chew it and swallow it rather than spit it out, it becomes uh, uh, strength and comfort to the belly. It's bitter to the flesh, but it's it's so nourishing to the belly. It's good to the belly, to the inner man. It's good to the inner man. If it can just get past my flesh, and that's true, I don't care what venue or what methodology in the past, present, or the future that we use to hear a word from God. Our flesh always has to get past the frankincense that the Spirit sprinkles on the bread in order to get the nourishment from it. And once we swallow it, we go, oh, this isn't bad. This is good. This is good. How filling is this? And all the strength I'm getting from this. You don't get that just chewing it. The word of God's not like chewing gum. You chew and get the flavor out of and then spit out. There's a lot of people that do that with the word of God. They use it like chewing gum. They chew on it, and they get the flavor out of it, and the preacher's got to make it sweet as tasty as he possibly can to get you to chew it. And if you've ever been on a low-carb diet or whatever, you know that if you chew gum with sugar in it, you don't get any real nourishment, but you get some carbs from the gum. But you chew it long enough, and it loses its flavor, and what do we do with it? Hopefully, you spit it out. The Word of God is not chewing gum. It's not chewing gum. It's not. The word of God's not chewing gum. I'm supposed to chew it, not spit it out, even though it's got some unpleasantness to my flesh in it. I'm supposed to swallow it and let it give me the strength. And let me tell you something. When Jesus says, if any man's going to be my, my disciple, let him come after me. The man is going to come after me. Be, be my disciple. Let him deny himself. That's disavow. The Greek is disavow ownership of himself and take up his cross. And when it's quoted in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, the word is added daily. Take up his cross daily and follow him. And the word follow doesn't imply at a distance, but it's closely accompanied. Is the full flavor of the Greek word there, closely accompany. And when I'm out of the and when I'm at a distance enough I can't see his face, meaning I'm not in his presence, then there's too much distance between me and him. Jesus said that to us, without me ye can do nothing. And the Greek word translated without means separate or apart from. Any kind of space between us and him provides a separation that prevents his empowerment. If I want to be empowered by him so that he can do anything he chooses through me, I've got to be in a relationship with him where there is a connection that allows any life he wants to that's flowing in him to flow in me. the purity of Christianity. This is part one of this this word. I will preach or minister, teach, whatever you call this, uh, part two of the purity of Christianity at two o'clock Eastern Daylight Time today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I would receive grace, mercy, and peace from the Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would allow his word, his spirit, to move in our hearts and move in our lives and to talk to us and to draw us with the bands of his love, to give us grace to get past our flesh and let our spirits get connected with him and allow this time to be a time that he uses like nothing that's ever happened in our lives to bring us into a true relationship with him. One of my favorite verses, and I'll tell you which verse is my really my favorite. It's, it's the ones in between Genesis 1-1 and Revelation 22-21. So one of those that's really my favorite is Psalm sixteen eleven. Thou wilt show me the path of life. And this life works no matter the circumstances, whether you're quarantined at home, whether everybody's on lockdown like the governor's done in California right now or whatever other circumstance you and I may be in, in this country or this continent or anywhere in the world, that life works. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to talk more about this in the next briefing, briefing number 12 that will start live at twelve uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to watch, and let's grow in God together. And even though we may be separated by walls and boundaries right now in because of this crisis that God has permitted to happen in the earth, uh, we can be joined in the Spirit and meet in prayer before the throne and Because we're all in the body of Christ, we can fellowship in the Spirit one with another as we grow in him. God bless you in Jesus' name. I love you, but much more importantly, Jesus loves you. God bless you.